Section 6 of Revolution by Mac Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Lena Schwernick and Paul Kosloff were bent over a map of the USSR. The former pointed out the approximate location of the radio transmitters. We're not going to use them until the last moment, he said. Not until the fat is in the fire. Then they will all begin at once. The KGB and MVD won't have time to knock them out. Paul said, Things are moving fast, faster than I had expected. We're putting it over, Leonid. Schwernick said, Only because the situation is ripe. It's the way revolutions work. How do you mean? Paul said absently, studying the map. Individuals don't put over revolutions. The times do. The conditions apply. Did you know that six months before the Bolshevik Revolution took place, Lenin wrote that he never expected to live to see the communists take over in Russia? The thing was that the conditions were there. The Bolsheviks, as few as they were, were practically thrown into power. However, Paul said dryly, it was mighty helpful to have such men as Lenin and Trotsky handy. Schwernick shrugged. The times make the men. Your own American Revolution is probably better known to you. Look at the men those times produced. Jefferson, Payne, Madison, Hamilton, Franklin, Adams. And once again, if you have told any of those men a year before the Declaration of Independence that a complete revolution was the only solution to the problems that confronted them, they would probably have thought you were insane. It was a new line of thought for Paul Koslov. Then what does cause a revolution? The need for it. It's not just our few tens of thousands of members of the underground who see the need for overthrowing the Soviet bureaucracy. It's millions of average Russians in every walk of life and every strata from top to bottom. What does the scientist think when some bureaucrat, knowing nothing of a specialty, comes into the laboratory and directs his work? What does the engineer in an automobile plant think when some silly politician decides that since cars in capitalist countries have four wheels, that Russia should surpass them by producing a car with five? What does your scholar think when he is told what to study, how to interpret it, and then what to write? What does your worker think when he sees the bureaucrat living in luxury while his wage is a comparatively meager one. What do your young people think in their continual striving for a greater degree of freedom than was possessed by their parents? What does your painter think, your poet, your philosopher? Schwernick shook his head. When a nation is ready for a revolution, it's the people who put it over. Often, the so-called leaders are hard put to run fast enough to stay out in front. Paul said, after it's all over, we'll go back to the States. I know a town up in the Sierras called Grass Valley. Hunting, fishing, mountains, clean air. But still available to cities such as San Francisco, where you can go for shopping or for restaurants and entertainment. She kissed him again. Paul said, you know, I've done this sort of work, never on this scale before, of course, ever since I was 19. 19, mind you. And this is the first time... I've realized I'm tired of it, fed up to here. I'm nearly 35, Anna, 
and for the first time I want what a man is expected to want out of life. A woman, a home, children. You've never seen America. You'll love it. You'll like Americans, too, especially the kind that live in places like Grass Valley. Anna laughed softly. But we're Russians, Paul. Eh? Our home and our life should be here, in Russia, the new Russia that we'll have shortly. He scoffed at her. Live here when there's California? Anna, Anna, you don't know what living is. Why, but Paul, I'm a Russian. If the United States is a more pleasant place to live than Russia will be, when we have ended the police state, then it is part of my duty to improve Russia. It suddenly came to him that she meant it. But I was thinking all along that after this was over, we'd be married. I'd be able to show you my country. And I don't know why I was thinking we both expected to be making a life for ourselves here. They were silent for a long time in mutual misery. Paul said finally, This is no time to make detailed plans. We love each other. That should be enough. When it's all over, we'll have the chance to look over each other's way of life. You can visit the States with me. And I'll take you on a visit to Armenia. I know a little town in the mountains there, which is the most beautiful in the world. We'll spend a week there, a month. Perhaps one day we can build a summer dacha there. She laughed happily. Why, practically everyone lives to be a hundred years old in Armenia. Yeah, we'll have to go there sometime, Paul said quietly. He'd been scheduled to see Leonid that night, but at the last moment the other sent Anna to report that an important meeting was to take place. A meeting of underground delegates from all over the country. They were making basic decisions on when to move, but Paul's presence wasn't needed. He had no feeling of being excluded from something that concerned him. Long ago, it had been decided that the less details known by the average man in the movement about Paul's activities, the better it would be. There is always betrayal, and there are always counter-revolutionary agents within the ranks of an organization such as this. What was the old Russian proverb? When four men sit down to discuss revolution, three are police spies and the third a fool. Actually, this had been astonishingly well handled. He had operated for over a year with no signs that the KGB was aware of his activities. Leonid and his fellows were efficient. They had to be. The commies had been slaughtering anyone who opposed them for 40 years now. To survive as a Russian underground, you had to be good. Now, it wasn't a feeling of exclusion. Paul Koslov was stretched out on the bed of his king-size Astoria hotel room, his hands behind his head and staring up at the ceiling. He recapitulated the events of the past months from the time he'd entered the chief's office in Washington until last night at the dacha with Leonid and Anna. The whole thing, and over and over again, there was a line of worry on his forehead. He swung his feet to the floor and approached the closet. He selected his most poorly pressed pair of pants and a coat that mismatched it. He checked the charge in his thirty-eight noiseless and replaced the weapon under his left arm. He moved his partial bridge 
remembering as he did so he had lost the teeth in a street fight with some commie union organizers in panama and replaced the porcelain bridge with a typically russian gleaming steel one he stuffed a cap in his back pocket a pair of steel-rimmed glasses into an inner pocket and left the room he hurried through the lobby past the tourist desk thankful that it was a slow time of day for tourist activity outside he walked several blocks to 25th of october avenue and made a point of losing himself in the crowd when he was sure that there could be no one behind him he entered a pavnaya had a glass of beer and then disappeared into the toilet there he took off his coat wrinkled it a bit more put it back on and also donned the cap and glasses he removed his tie and thrust it into a side pocket he left in appearance a more or less average working man of leningrad walked to the bus station on nashimson volodarsky and waited for the next bus to petrodvorets he would have preferred the subway but the line didn't run that far as yet the bus took him to within a mile and a half of the dacha and he walked from there by this time paul was familiar with the security measures taken by leonid schwernick and the others none at all when the dacha wasn't in use for a conference or to hide someone on the lamb from the kgb but at a time like this there would be three sentries carefully spotted this was paul's field now since the age of nineteen he told himself wryly he wondered if there was anyone in the world who could go through a line of sentries as efficiently as he could he approached the dacha at the point where the line of pine trees came nearest to it on his belly he watched for ten minutes before making a final move to the side of the house he lay up against it under a bush from an inner pocket he brought the spy device he had acquired from derrick stevens rube goldberg department it looked and was supposed to look considerably like a doctor's stethoscope he placed it to his ears pressed the other end to the wall of the house leonid schwernick was saying becoming killers isn't a pleasant prospect but it was the soviet who taught us that the end justifies the means and so ruthless a dictatorship have they established that there is literally no alternative the only way to remove them is by violence happily so we believe the violence need extend to only a small number of the very highest of the hierarchy once they are eliminated and our transmitters proclaim the new revolution there should be little further opposition someone sighed deeply paul was able to pick up even that why discuss it further somebody whose voice paul didn't recognize asked let's get on to other things these broadcasts of ours have to be the ultimate in the presentation of our program the assassination of number one and his immediate supporters is going to react unfavorably at first we're going to have to present unanswerable arguments if our movement is to sweep the nation as we plan a new voice injected we put the best writers in the soviet union to work on the scripts for all practical purposes they are completed we haven't yet decided what to say about the h-bomb the missiles all the endless equipment of war 
that has accumulated under the Soviets, not to speak of the armies, the ships, the aircraft, and all the personnel who manned them. Someone else, it sounded like Nikolai Kirchenko from Moscow, said, I'm chairman of the committee on that. It's our opinion that we're going to have to cover that matter in our broadcast to the people. And the only answer is that until the West has agreed to nuclear disarmament, we're going to have to keep our own. Leonid said, and there was shock in his voice, but that's one of the most basic reasons for the new revolution, to eliminate this mad arms race, this devoting half the resources of the world to armament. Yes, but what can we do? How do we know that the Western powers won't attack? And please remember that it is no longer just the United States that has nuclear weapons. If we lay down our defenses, we're capable of being destroyed by England, France, West Germany, even Turkey or Japan. And consider, too, that the economies of some of the Western powers are based on the production of arms to the point that if such production ended overnight, depressions would sweep their nations. In short, they can't afford a world without tensions. It's a problem for the future to solve, someone else said. But meanwhile, I believe the committee is right. Until it is absolutely proven that we need have no fears about the other nations, we must keep our own strength. Under his hedge, Paul grimaced, but he was getting what he came for, a discussion of policy, without the restrictions his presence would have put on the conversation. Let's deal with the more pleasant subject, a feminine voice said. Our broadcasts should stress to the people that for the first time in the history of Russia, we will be truly in the position to lead the world. For 50 years, the communists attempted to convert nations into adopting their system, and largely they were turned down. Those countries that did become communist either did so at the point of the Red Army's bayonet or under the stress of complete collapse, such as in China. But tomorrow, and the new Russia? Freed from the inadequacy and inefficiency of the bureaucrats, who have misruled us, will develop a productive machine that will be the envy of the world. Her voice had all but fanatical ring. Someone else chuckled, If the West thought they had competition from us before, wait until they see the new Russia. Paul thought he saw someone, a shadow, at the side of the clearing. His lips thinned, and the thirty-eight noiseless was in his hand magically. False alarm. He turned back to the conversation inside. Kirchenko's voice was saying, It is hard for me not to believe that within a period of a year or so, half the countries of the world will follow our example. Half? Someone laughed exuberantly. The world, comrades! The new system will sweep the world. For the first time in history, the world will see what Marx and Engels were really driving at. End of section 6. Recording by Paul Harvey.